Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, November 18th, marks our 166th program. Uh, today's featured Actus solution is Actus Online, Uncovering Outpatient Opportunities. We're asking you to reserve your calendar for December 9th through 11th. This three-day, one-of-a-kind online event offers CDI professionals a unique chance to interrogate the benefits of medical record reviews in this traditional, uh, non-traditional, excuse me, healthcare setting outpatient. Join those who've pioneered outpatient CDI endeavors and learn from their challenges and successes. Collaborate with colleagues in the outpatient arena to identify best practices and investigate common clinical scenarios. We're gonna have about a dozen industry leaders and experts in the field presenting over three days with some other fun activities and small group networking. So check it out if you can, uh, hcmarketplace.com or go to actus.org, you will see this program advertised. Okay, so my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, CDI in the Emergency Department, Medical Necessity. I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left, Laurie Prescott. Laurie is the CDI Education Director for us here at HC Pro and Actus. She's the lead developer and instructor for all of our boot camps, serves as a subject matter expert, a member of our certification committee and Actus Advisory Board. You've seen her on this program many times. She's also the co-author of our 2020 Actus Pocket Guide series, soon to be 2021. Uh, so welcome <laughs> to the program, Laurie. Thanks, Brian. Okay. Next, I'd like to introduce our special guest today. Um, back for, I believe, our second program, we have uh, Autumn Ryder. Uh, Autumn is Director of CDI Services for Coro Health where she works with clients from multiple facilities to serve in their staffing and auditing needs. She has a nursing background that includes ICU, labor and delivery, and school nursing. She transitioned into CDI more than eight years ago, serving as a CDI specialist and eventually as the clinical coordinator for a CDI program in Chesapeake, Virginia. She served as the Virginia State Actus Local Chapter Leader and is a past presenter at our annual conference, and I want to welcome her back to the podcast. Welcome, Autumn. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to, as always, start with a poll question related to today's topic. Let me go ahead and open that up. Should be seeing that hitting your screens about now. So we're asking you, do you cover the emergency department with your CDI staff? And your options are, uh, yes, we staff the emergency department with CDI and we review patient charts concurrently. Uh, yes, we review ED notes, but typically uh, post admission. No, but we're planning to uh, expand CDI to cover this department. Maybe it's in your future or in your wish list. Uh, no, or don't know, not applicable. Once again, I'm gonna ask one more time. Do you cover the emergency department with your CDI staff? 
your options are yes, staff it with your uh, CDI specialists and review those patients while they're, they're there, concurrent. Uh, you review those notes, but post admission. No, but planning to expand. Uh, just a flat out no, or don't know, not applicable. So we asked this question, uh, I went deep into the archives of the podcast. We asked this question back in July of 2015. So uh, I'm gonna be interested to see how these, today's results compare to those results. But let's go ahead and, and close this out and we will of course come back to it in just a few minutes. So as I mentioned, Autumn Ryder is our special guest today. Autumn, welcome to the show. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. Um, Thanks again. Yeah. So just to kind of frame how the show came about, you had prepared some material for, for us uh, to help with the new edition of the Actus Outpatient Pocket Guide. Uh, you did a, a nice job outlining some of the documentation vulnerabilities and opportunities that can occur in the ED. Uh, this quote was particularly relevant. Uh, you said that um, nearly 139 million visits occur in the ED each year, with roughly only about 10.5% of those resulting in an actual hospital admission. So that leaves nearly 120 million visits that may not be reviewed by a CDI department if your emergency department is not being reviewed by your CDI team. So we're just hoping you could talk a little bit about some of those vulnerabilities and opportunities at a broader level. You know, today we're going to be talking a little bit about CPT codes, LCDs, NCDs, some of these things that traditional inpatient CDI might not be familiar with. So could you kind of explain this for us? Yeah, Brian, definitely. I think this is a great new opportunity for CDI, but like you mentioned, it's not in the traditional CDI learning package that we have you know normally worked with most of us were trained as inpatient cdi we learn inpatient coding um you know really focusing on those icd-10 diagnoses codes and what we found to be really successful in the ed is to hone in on um the cpt codes because what we're finding is with the majority of the teams that we've worked with is there's a, a great opportunity for those to be denied really because there's not information inside the ED record to support medical necessity for blood work, lab tests, um, you know, other things that may just get ordered by a physician and it's all part of that medical decision-making process, but there's not documentation to support it. So it looks very different, but it's definitely something that I think um, is worth looking into your facility for an expansion on. Um, because there's a lot of opportunity that's missed in creating that um, accurate record for your patient as well as financial opportunities for your facility. Great, thanks. You know, I, I'm listening to you, Autumn, and we used to joke at my last facility that we gave away complimentary head CTs in the ED um, because we were often not reimbursed for them. So <laughs> my big question is, um, what are some of the CPT codes or procedures that may be denied in the ED based on lack of medical necessity? And what have you identified as low-hanging fruit where CDI professionals could, could immediately make an impact? No, and, and it's funny you say that, Lori, because head CTs are one of the ones that we frequently see denied. And, you know, learning about NCDs and LCDs, so for those of you who are not familiar with outpatient, um, coding in the ED, there's local coverage determinants, that's an LCD, 
then there's national coverage determinants, and those are based on diagnoses or documentation inside the record that supports um, all of those tests being ordered in the medical necessity for them. So what you and I may think are words that work, so to speak, for HES-CT to be picked up, you know, it, it may be very different. So something, you know, that such as syncope, that works for HES-CT to be covered most of the time. But um, a documentation such as visual disturbance or headache, depending upon the circumstances surrounding it, may not. So it's very odd for us to think in the traditional setting, mm -hmm. words that would work and, and cover those things may not always be the case when a coder is picking those up and, and looking at medical necessity. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, and another one too is the BNPs. We see those ordered quite frequently. And uh, you know, a lot of times you'll see someone for like respiratory failure, something like that. We think, hey, that makes sense, right? We're looking for any chest congestion, additional fluid on them. But acute respiratory failure itself, that diagnosis does not meet medical necessity for a BNP to be drawn in the ED. No way. Yes. I, it, you know, it, it's crazy to me. I shake my head and I think about, you know, no wonder why providers are confused <laughs> because the rules are so different. Interesting. Some great examples there, Autumn. Appreciate it. Um, what types of, I guess, what types of questions should a CDI professional who's working in this setting be asking themselves as they're reviewing these encounters? Um, maybe a little different than, obviously, a, a patient who's admitted. You know, you're not looking at progress notes. You're looking at, I think you might say, a chief complaint, tests and treatments, abnormal findings, order sets. You know, I, I guess what, what is the mindset you need to look at uh, the ED record as a, as a CDI professional? Really, I think one of the first things that I think about, Brian, is like, why did that patient come in? What was their chief complaint? Um, and then, you know, what tests were ordered to support what was going on with that patient? Um, is it signs and symptoms? Is there diagnoses? Um, and it's not that different from the overall inpatient CDI approach in that you're looking, obviously, to support what's going on with that patient. But in the ED realm, you're dealing with a lot more signs and symptoms. So, you know, what is the medical thought process that's going on here that's helping the providers determine what they need to order? Unfortunately, a lot of times it is simply signs and symptoms and they're thinking in differential. So kind of just understanding that thought process and how it's different from the inpatient review, but you're still trying to get to that clear and accurate picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the, the ED, um, ED encounters are measured primarily in minutes to hours compared to on the inpatient side where we've got the luxury of three to four days to review the chart and speak to the physician. Um, so the workflow has got to be pretty different in the ED. What, what do you recommend for how CDI should address that within the ED? Um, you know, specifically, like, how do you recommend it to be? Is it a, its own role? So there's a permanent CDI in the ED or is it part of the inpatient team? What do you, what do you see as best practice in that area? So I look at it two different ways, Lori. If the patient is going to be someone seen in the ED and then discharged, I think it is a good practice um, to have a specific set of CDI that focus on those patients. Um, I think for the patient that is obviously admitted into the inpatient arena, you know, 
yes, the traditional CDI review of you know, um, the inpatient CDI, reading through the ED report, what led to the admission to inpatient status. But what we found most successful is having an actual team of CDI that their focus is the ED and it's those patients that weren't admitted to the facility. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, the ED is a different animal. If you're going to have someone in there concurrently reviewing, that team needs to be cognizant of how the ED works, not getting in the provider's way, understanding where to find documentation, who to talk to. Um, successfully, we've seen workflow processes though, where you're basically doing a retro review within 24 hours of that patient's visit to the facility and having the ability then to query within a certain time frame to ask for specificity as to why a test was ordered or why a procedure was done um, based on the clinical indicators inside the record. Yeah. I, th I think that um, I, I appreciate what you're saying because um, the, the, the world is so different and you can't put somebody down there that doesn't understand that world um, because the physicians are not going to want that flow disrupted um, as they're caring for the patients. Right. And I think too, understanding coming from where most of us have been in an inpatient traditional CDI program, that you can take what you've learned in that inpatient role, but you can't cookie cutter it and throw it into the ED and expect it to work the same way. Right. Um, it, it's just a different mechanism, figuring out what works for your facility and your providers and the CDI that you have trained to be down there is very integral to the success of that program. Yeah. Great stuff. So, Autumn, for our listeners who might be interested in, in possibly using their CDI specialist in their role, in this role, what do you recommend a, a good first step? You know, I, you, earlier you were talking about LCDs or NCDs. Maybe they, need, they don't know what particular procedures are covered or might be vulnerable. Um, and, and also, I imagine if, if you're not in this space and you, and you want to get into it, you you couldn't just throw a CDI specialist out there. You might need to have some conversations with various stakeholders uh, in your organization. So curious um, if people are listening to this and going, yeah, this is a good good spot for my staff to be where they might get started. So I'm a big proponent for you, you know, can't monitor what you can't measure. So knowing where your areas of opportunity lie is key, right? Because there are so many CPT codes. If you were to focus on every single one of them, you wouldn't get through records. So I say set up an audit, see where some of your downfalls are and your opportunity, and also visit with um, your denials management at your facility. What seem to be the frequent CPT codes that are getting kicked back to your system? Um, and focus on five to 10 of those at first. You know, develop query methodology behind it, develop education for your providers and, and work those, solidify the documentation that needs to be around them so they can be um, obviously gathered for medical necessity and appropriately funded um, and, and work your way through. It's, it's a lot of information to take on, particularly again for those that, you know, like me, who were really well knowledgeable and versed in the inpatient arena to come to the ED and have to learn about CPT codes, NCDs, LCDs. I have to tell you, I've been around some great coders and that's where I have garnered a lot of that education. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, this is interesting. It's it's another approach 
uh, outpatient CDI, right? I mean, we, we talk about the big one is we were just chatting about it as a show starter, the HCC capture and, and, and that avenue working in the clinics. But this is this is different, obviously, emergency room acute care, but you're leveraging it's, it. It makes it makes it hard to talk about outpatient CDI as this kind of monolith. Um, this is more the acute right. care, but it's it's definitely on that spectrum. Um, but it sounds like a great opportunity folks can get into. It definitely is, and it's, again, really providing an accurate picture of what's going on in your ED. And although, you know, some may say, well, some of these CPT tests are $75, $80 a piece, there is a lot of um, opportunity there just to make sure that your hospital is getting adequately reimbursed for that. Right. Um, you know, it, 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 it adds up when you can talk about $120 million ED cases a year that come right. through that aren't necessarily reviewed by that inpatient CD. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that test multiplied by how many days, weeks, years, you know, it adds up. All right. Great stuff. Thanks, Autumn. We're going to uh, bounce yeah, back. Yeah. We're going to bounce back over to our poll question. Let me go ahead and pull that up and share the results. So once again, we asked our audience, uh, do you cover the emergency department with your CDI staff? So 5% said yes, they staff the ED with their CDI uh, and review patients concurrently. 19% um, say yes, we review ED notes, but typically post admission. 6% say no, but they're planning to expand to this area. 65% uh, say no. And 6% uh, say don't know, not applicable. So here's the big reveal. You know, this is pretty darn close to where we were in 2015. So let's see how these compare. 2015, 3% uh, said yes, they staff the ED and review patients concurrent. So a slight uptick there. 19% uh, review ED notes, but typically post admission. Now 17% five years ago. So we ticked up 2%. So about small gains there. The rest were about the same. 6% um, mm. said no, 9% uh, said no, but they're planning to. So maybe there's a little more planning to expand. Um, but again, 64% said no in 2015 as compared to 65% who say no. And, and the last is about the same to six now versus 7% then. So pretty consistent, maybe a, some slight movement in this direction. Um, just curious, you had any thoughts on the poll results, Autumn, and how they compare with uh, where we were a few years back? And I, I think it's not surprising to me looking at these numbers. Um, everybody knows that there's opportunity and CDI reviews need to be done in the outpatient. I think, I think one of the things that we're all trying to still wrap our heads around is where does the facility start? How do I measure what's going on in that program? Because it's different, again, than the inpatient setting. And what team members are best to be in there? And, you know, obviously this year has thrown us for a loop. So what might have been some advancements might have been put on the back burner just due to bandwidth um, and other opportunities like that. But uh, I, I'm not really surprised, but I hope that with the education that Lori provides in the outpatient pocket guide and and things like that, people are really willing 
to start to take a dive into some new opportunities in their facilities. Great. We appreciate that, Autumn. Hey, thanks for the pocket guide plug while, while you're at us. We didn't, we didn't <laughs> take that spot, by the way. But good stuff. All right. We're going to hop over to our In the News segment. So In the News is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession, or maybe at least stuff that I find interesting. Um, so we know that change is the word of the day in 2020. Not all great, but been a lot of change this year from, from politics to healthcare. Uh, one of the biggest that I've been noticing is uh, the push toward transparency, particularly in hospital charges and prices. Um, so I'm showing an article here on your screen. You should be seeing this is from Fierce Healthcare. Um, and it states that, let me scroll down a bit here. Um, Starting in January, on January 1st of this coming year, January 1st, 2021, all U.S. hospitals participating in CMS programs must make public a yearly list of the hospital's standard charges. Those charges, quote, must be available in a machine-readable format on a hospital website. So, but this is just the beginning, according to this article, again, from Fierce, uh, beginning in 2023, insurers will be mandated to offer an online shopping tool or similar platform that includes uh, out-of-pocket cost estimates and negotiated prices for 500 of the most shoppable services. This is according to, uh, right from the top, Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, which he relayed on a call with reporters at the end of October. Um, in 2024, this requirement will be extended to all services. Uh, in addition, beginning in 2022, insurers must post online a series of documents that include their in-network negotiated provider rates, out-of-network coverage rates, and in-network drug pricing. So quite a bit of um, pricing data, cost data that will have to be made available to the public. Interesting quote from... Mr. Azar down below here says, for too long, American patients have been at the mercy of a shadowy system that hides crucial information. This shadowy system needs to change. Um, I will say that this is this rule is pretty unpopular, as you can imagine, uh, especially with the American Hospital Association, which has challenged it in court. Um, but a lot of experts are saying that this is really a bipartisan issue. It's one of the, the rare places where both Democrats and Republicans can agree. Um, they both see the importance of getting consumers more involved in understanding the costs of care. And, and hopefully the, 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 the thought here is to, that will drive costs downwards. Um, but I expect a lot more to come here with this. We'll include a link to this article. Uh, there's also, clicking over here to cms.gov, there's a, it's a big initiative on the CMS website. Um, this is pretty helpful, actually, this site here. It does give you information from uh, the hospital perspective, from what it means for consumers. Uh, it has a place where you can reach out and contact CMS for hospitals pricing online. Uh, we do expect this rule to be enforced if people aren't doing it. Um, really interesting stuff. I'm curious just to hear your thoughts on this autumn as well as Laurie, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the adoption of this new rule and hospital pricing transparency and, and, and maybe stretching a bit, do you, do you think this could have any downstream impact on CDI practice? Um, 
if, if more and more information is being made publicly available. Curious what you guys think. I'll let I'll let Autumn dive in first. <laughs> All right. So um, we we kind of touched on this a little bit pre um, program here, but you know I, I think obviously healthcare is becoming a, a consumer driven um, entity, just like it is going to a restaurant. Uh, you know, documentation is supporting um, basically the stars ratings where we choose, you don't want to go to a hospital, obviously, that it looks like people are not getting better or they're not getting quality of care. So as we grow and the internet becomes part of our, you know, our daily lives, obviously, you're going to look things up, right? You want the best doctor, you want the best hospital for your family member. So I think this is just another component that's going to be added onto there. I think it's going to be very eye-opening for people to see prices just laid out before them. Um, and, you know, like Brian mentioned, I think this will hopefully help curtail some of the costs or, you know, take away outlier payments, things like that. So, you know, as the public looks at things, they can ask questions as to why. Mm -hmm. um, but I, again, I think documentation is going to play a role in the fact that it's going to need to support all the things that are going on. And in turn, supporting that, you know, will help the payment methodology be the most appropriate it can be. Absolutely. Laurie, any hey, thoughts here? I, I I have a, you know, a little mixed view on this. I think transparency is a good thing, um, but I do um, think that our consumer public needs to be well-informed and educated um, mm -hmm. and they need to, they need to understand how hospitals are reimbursed the costs of giving care versus just the charges that are applied um, because they, and I think that's where we as CDIs just when we're in our non-professional role, when we're out there in public, need to step up and, and educate pe people about the costs of running a hospital and how they're reimbursed. And, you know, the fact that the charge master says it's $20 for an aspirin doesn't mean that's what the hospital gets paid. And the, because I think I, I worry that when people start to see these prices, the interpretation is going to, and I know this is what the American Hospital Association is concerned about, it can be very misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I worry about that, um, how things can get twisted and people may feel that their physicians or their hospitals are getting overpaid for the care that we're actually not even getting reimbursed for. Right. So it's a reimbursement is such a twisted, multi-layered thing. I'm not sure if the public can educate themselves to be knowledgeable consumers overnight. So that frightens me a little. Yeah. So they say the devil will be in the details. Sorry for the cliche, mm -hmm. but it'll be interesting. You know, like I look at machine readable file, that, that's not going to mean a lot. People see gross charges, discounted cash prices, but consumer-friendly display of shoppable services. You know, may, if if we get to the right place where people can look at what they'll actually be be billed for various services, maybe this will have some some impact. So more to come here, but just an interesting trend going on right now. With some big ramifications coming up. 
All right, let's wrap up with a brief Actus update. So Actus updates, a regular feature of bringing you the latest updates and what's going on inside of Actus. Today, I wanted to let our listeners know about some big news regarding new dates for the 2021 Actus National Conference. Um, we sent an email out about this. We've mentioned it on CD in CDI Strategies, our member newsletter. But if you haven't seen it, we have made the decision to reschedule our annual conference. We were originally scheduled for May 17th through 20th, uh, 2021, at the Sheridan Hotel in Dallas. We have had to move the conference back about five months, so it will. We are planning on a live conference again next year, but not until next October 25th through 28th, 2021. We're going to remain at the Sheridan Hotel. The Sheridan was very accommodating with us moving these dates. Um, we are planning on hosting our usual live pre-con events. We're going to change things up a little bit. We're still going to have some multiple tracks to attend, but we're going to be adding some online slash virtual tracks to supplement this in-person offering. Uh, this has been a big decision and a lot of work for us. We, we frankly know that thousands of CDI professionals nationwide look forward to this event. This event, uh, this decision was not made lightly. Uh, we are, of course, monitoring everything going on with the COVID-19 pandemic. We will be closely monitoring guidance for meetings, uh, for meeting in person as outlined by the CDC and the WHO, as well as state and local mandates. We'll be sharing safety measures as we get closer to the event date. We are going to be following all mandatory safety measures, but we're really looking now um, at the availability of vaccines and some of the good news we've heard lately. And we're hoping that this rescheduled date will allow folks to participate. So we do hope you plan to join us. Um, please note that we do have, we did uh, move the application date for speaking out until January 8th of 2021. So, you know, we really are encouraging folks to apply. It's an easy process. You go to this page, I'll include the link in the show notes. We'll have it up on the website, but um, you know, we do give complimentary uh, registration for accepted speakers. If you right, are probably sitting in your chair right now going, gosh, Brian, I don't know if I can attend a live event next year. Well, I would, recommend you if you if you are interest, interested in speaking to apply anyway and I'll, and I'll tell you why we, we are going to be offering more virtual events next year as I mentioned we are going to have some virtual tracks tied to this event pre-recorded for folks that can't attend a live event so if you do want to speak with us um, we will find a platform for you next year and again if you would like to speak at the national program are, do want to attend in October, you are accepted. We do allow up to two speakers per selected session to attend free. So uh, so check it out, consider it, and we appreciate your patience as we work through this terrible uncertainty that is 2020. And we're hoping we have some better news, I'm sure we all do, for 2021. All right, that is going to do it for today's edition of the podcast. Um, we're going to be back here in two weeks for our next show. I'm excited about this one. Uh, we have a, a hospital system out on the West Coast that has added a new position, CDI system specialist. That's really data-driven and technology-driven. Exciting new avenue for CDI professionals and a new position they've created. So we hope you can join us for the show. 
Um, as always, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, your favorite podcast app. Uh, as always, if you have suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, got a, another one today, which I'm going to try to work in. Uh, please send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. All right, that will do it. Thanks again, Autumn, for the show. Great appearance today. Great ideas. And uh, for everyone else, see you back here again in two weeks. Take care, everyone.